The text of the sermon this day is taken from that reading from Acts, which you heard a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Paul is in the city of Athens, a city that, was, that treasured knowledge, treasured wisdom. People always wanted to learn more and more, and they wanted to talk about it. So kind of think about, like, over at Food Pride, if you go on a morning, and you might find a bunch, several gentlemen sitting there at, a, at one of the tables, and they're talking about whatever's going on in the world. Sound, I'm sure it sounds like a familiar day for some people. And it doesn't have to be Food Pride. It could be also Zimmies or wherever. But you gather, and you're talking about the news, talking about the weather, things are happening. In the time of Paul, that was the marketplace, which, which is where they would gather and they would be talking about the newest ideas, the newest philosophies. Because you have to remember, Athens is the place is where basically modern education came from. Think about words like biology, psychology, geography, ge geology, all of those Greek words. Chemistry, Greek word. Even athletics is a Greek word. So much of, we are so very much descendants. And the people who started it were people like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, all coming from Athens. So like I said, they treasured knowledge. But when Paul looked upon this city, he saw that it was full of idols. And so they took, in the fact, the place where they took him to speak with them was a place called the Areopagus. Areopagus literally means the Hill of Mars or the Hill of Ares, the god of war, or who's sometimes called Mars. So yes, even our planets are named after Greeks. Most of them are Greek gods. So they come, bring him there, and he begins to talk to them. He talks about the inscription to the unknown God. He, talks, he quotes a couple poems to them. And one of those poems, if you go dig and look at it, it's actually a poem that is completely dedicated to Zeus. And so he is surrounded by these people worshiping other gods. And so he is pointing them to the one true God. So imagine if Paul came into the United came into Ida Grove. Now we don't necessarily have. Well, I guess we kind of have farmers market, but we don't have a marketplace in the sense that they did. Our modern marketplace would probably either be the internet, or yeah, actually, Food Pride would be a would be one marketplace. Senex is a marketplace. Casey's, you get it. If anything's being sold, it's a marketplace. And by the way, this is why we do Bible studies at Subway, because Subway is a marketplace. We're just doing what Paul did. So, but if he came there, would he look around and see idols? Now, our first thought is, well, I don't know anybody worshiping Zeus or um, Ares or anything like that. And that's true. We don't have quite those types. I mean, there are some, but not many. We don't have quite that kind of idols in our country. 
In our culture, our idols are the more subtle ones. They're the ones, if you open up Luther's large catechism, they are the ones that he spends quite a bit of time warning against. So in the small catechism, the first commandment, Luther only spends like one sentence. In the large catechism, it is several pages because he understands it is the most commonly broken commandment. Because an idol is anything that we put our time, our trust, our treasures into. And when you begin to see it that way, you realize we have many, many, many idols. And they're all around us. I'll give you an example. And by the way, this is one of the great ways to find your idols. If you ever miss worship for a reason, it's a really good way to find an idol. So, for example, when I was a kid, and it was Sunday morning, there was no debate whether or not we were going to church. Well, I take that back. I tried to debate, but I never won any of those debates. And the reason I didn't want to go to church is because Sunday morning had some really good cartoons on. There was like Fantastic Four, Iron Man, there was the dinosaurs one, which is about aliens that turned into dinosaurs. And so, like, I always wanted to stay home and watch them. Believe it or not, in case you're wondering, that was not an acceptable argument. And so we went to church. And I'm glad that my dad did make me go to church for those. But the thing is, is as a child, my idol at that time was entertainment. Now, fast forward to when I was graduated from high school. Up through high school, it was not an option whether or not I went to church. When I graduated from high school, then my dad let me make my own choice. My dad would not even let me miss church on the morning after prom. Like, I just fell asleep, and my dad's like, all right, let's go to church. I'm like, it's 8 o'clock service. Like, I don't care, you're going. My dad let me sleep all day, but he made sure I went to church. But the thing is... But that when I graduated from high school, and it was my option, I will admit, quite often, my choice was, you know what, I want to sleep. It's, I've, I worked at a movie theater, which means I, a lot of times, did not get home until 11, 12 o'clock at night. And so, I wanted to go home and sleep. And I wanted to sleep in that morning. And quite often, that's what I did. So, idol, there's another idol. I guarantee it is a very popular one. It's tough for some to get up for the 9 o'clock service. Granted, we do have a Saturday night service, but sleep is an idol. Many years ago, there was an article written by the Federalist. And the article was all about the rise of the idol that is known as athletica, sports. One of the greatest idols in our culture. Now it could be the simple things of, well, you have, you're up in Minneapolis and you want to go to a Vikings game, or you're Chicago, you want to go to a Bears game, Green Bay, you want to go, you get it. Wherever you want to go, you want to go to a game and you want to get good parking so you're going to leave early. Okay, so there's, those are the smaller things. Those are one occasions, but let's face it, we don't have any NFL teams in Iowa, so it doesn't come up all that often. The much more common ones is the ones where there's a sporting event for the kids. 
some type of activity on a Sunday morning, how often does church win that battle out? How often is the faith the one that you choose? Very, very rarely. And sadly, we are in a culture that has forced you to make that choice. And it's not just in sports, it's all sorts, we see it in dance, we see it even in things, sometimes, even sometimes in 4-H, and FFA type stuff. Not often, but sometimes. So many thing, activities that we keep our kids so busy, and which by the way, one of the unintentional things we're turning all of our kids into when we do this, is we're turning them into workaholics before they're ever even entered into adulthood. That is not good for their mental health long term. But yet, like I said, yet another item. Or, and by the way, speaking of workaholism, work, jobs, employment. When our jobs are aligned with church, do we work our schedule around to make sure to that we can get to a service, even if that means going to the Saturday night? Do we find ways to make sure we could make it? But here kind of gets into a little interesting, another aspect. What about for those who are in church every single, who are regularly in church? We could make idol, we still have our own idols. We could turn an idol into worship style. And I, have, I bring this one up because there's a very good possibility that starting in September, we have fewer organists. We're going to have services are either going to be contemporary or traditional, and that's it. And what we had when we did that last a couple of years ago, people would find out when the contemporary service was, and they would go there, and they'd miss when the traditional was, and people would do the same thing vice versa. Guess what you just turned into an idol? your worship service. If your style of worship is a reason to miss church, you've turned it into an idol. Or, how about service times? One of the things that actually wisely are seventh graders, when I've told, talked to them about the importance of worship over some of their activities, they said, well, why don't we have worship on different times, like different days of the week or things like that? Well, for, all, for one, Sunday is the ancient one. So we keep with that because that's been going for 2,000 years. But what about the other times of the week, the other days? Do we sometimes get a little bit too tied to the service time? And yes, we could turn something so little as service time into an idol. And yes, I know we've had histories where there were bitter, quite heavy arguments over what time is the Sunday morning service. That could turn into an idol. You want to know the, and the thing is, is I don't know if you know this, there's something different about the idols that we have and the idols that Paul was dealing with. The, the idols that Paul was dealing with, there was nothing good or redeemable about them. There was nothing good about worshiping Zeus. There's nothing good about worshiping Ares. But when it comes to sports, entertainment, Going and playing golf in the morning, go fishing, whatever. All those things are actually good things. 
There are things that God wants you to have. He gave them to you. He gives you your abilities. He gives you the desire to enjoy these things. The pro but the thing is, is the devil, the way he works is he takes what God has created and made good and given to us for our good, and he turns it bad. He turns it in a way that we abuse it. That's the way the devil works. And so the message that Paul delivers to the church, to these people in Athens, he delivers them to the fullness of the scriptures. And he had to do this because in Greek, in Greece, unlike when he talks to Jews, when he talks to the Jews, he doesn't have to talk about Genesis. They all know about Genesis. But when he's talking to the Greeks, he has to go from the very beginning to lead to Jesus. And the thing is, we are increasingly in a culture where we will not be different. More and more often, I'm finding it happen where I talk to kids and I realize they cannot take it for granted that they know what it means that Jesus was crucified. I have to explain that. Because the biblical literacy in our culture is skyrocketing. Many people have no concept of the basic faith. So very much, we're in a very similar world, and increasingly so, that Paul is in. And I imagine it will not be long before we'll be like it is in Europe, where you'll come across people who have never met a Christian in their entire life. And there are parts of the country that is already true, especially if you go to like California and things like that. Which means the mission field is huge. The importance of spreading the gospel is massive. And Paul here actually gives you wonderful tools on how to do it. Last Sunday, we met, we were here at seven or six o'clock, and we discussed Guardians of the Galaxy. And for those who were there, did I pull a pretty good Christian imagery out of it? Hopefully. I'm try, basically doing what Paul did. Using the language of our culture to teach the gospel. And that's kind of the idea of it, is to train it to you as well to do the same thing. Because movies, television, it, music, it is the language of our culture. When our eyes, and e our eyes are trained enough to know the scriptures, the more and more we learn how to see God's fingerprints everywhere. For the sake of those who we talk to and for the sake of yourself. Because as I went through all of these idols, one of the things... Every single one of us is sitting here, hopefully, if you think through them, you could, there's idols I did not mention, but I'm pretty certain you could think of some. And you're seeing your sin. And so the message that Paul delivered to the crowd is the exact same message to you, is that, this, that God created the universe good. He began with one man and one woman, and they fell into sin. But our God saw our miserable estate, and he did not leave us in our sin, but sent forth his Son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to redeem us who have transgressed, to bring forgiveness, life, salvation, by the death of the cross. 
by his resurrection, guaranteeing who he is, showing that he indeed is God in the flesh, that he accomplished what he set out to do. And so we can sing as we sang the hymn a little bit ago. Dear Christians, one and all rejoice. This was a hymn by Martin Luther. And yes, it's a 10-verse hymn. It's one of those, verse, those hymns, whenever any, it ever comes up as the hymn of the day, we as pastors are always like, oh, what do I cut out? And we've learned the hard way. Don't ever end at verse 4 or 5, because you might leave people in hell. So it's like, you've got to keep going. It's like a sermon. And so, and we're actually singing the other half of the hymn in a little bit. But the hymn begins, it goes, Dear Christians, one and all rejoice with exaltation springing and with united heart and voice in holy rapture singing. Proclaim the wonders God has done, how his right arm the victory won, what price our ransom cost him. That word rapture, I don't know if you know what that word means, but it's a really cool word. It means an exceedingly great joy. So in holy, exceedingly great joy singing. Because we who are dead in our sin and our trespasses by the blood of Jesus have redemption, life, forgiveness, salvation. What a reason to rejoice, to be singing, to go out into the world and speak it to the world that they may join in heart and voice and sing the same praise. Just as Paul was doing, just as the apostles were doing, going from town to town, village to village, proclaiming the gospel. And so when you're in your marketplace, wherever God places you, proclaim the same wonders that God has done, that others may hear and believe by believing may have life. And that they may fit, turn not to the idols of this world. That their hearts and minds may be set on the, not the unknown God, but on the known God. Personified in Christ himself. To him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Keep you the one true faith to life everlasting.